Welcome to RAQA Today, the podcast that puts the fun back in quality, compliance, and regulatory affairs. Here's your host, Michelle Lott. Let's dig in together today and really talk about the topic at hand, which is how do you know when it's time to hire your first full-time what, what do you want to say, Michelle, your first full-time regulatory professional or RAQA professional? Because at that point, it's probably a dual role, right? Uh, I, either or both. But most of the time for small companies, they need somebody that can um, do the dual, duality in the role with both regulatory and quality because of budget limitations. Yeah, it makes sense. And so talk, talk to us a little bit about, I mentioned at the beginning, you know, Lean RAQA, you're a consulting firm that helps with regulatory strategy, regulatory compliance, quality management systems, you name it, the full spectrum of regulatory and quality functions within a company. Where, at what point are, usually, are you usually being called in uh, to help an organization? Yeah. So I'm usually called in and ideally called in um, early in concept development to help them map the regulatory strategy requirements, t- uh, testing, all those sorts of things that they're going to need to be planning for along their journey. Then we move them into, you know, a pre-submission at the right time, then their submissions. But I'm also building their quality management system in phases along the way. Of course, at the very early concept development, a full-time regulatory and quality person for a company with, a, especially with a single product and nothing commercialized, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right, right. And so when you're brought in that early, I think that you've probably, when you're brought into an organization to help them, what mistakes have you seen being made at that point where perhaps they should have called you earlier on? Mm-hmm. Well, because at that stage, they're usually either underfunded or self-funded that they do a lot of um, research, especially regulatory on their own. So it's a very DIY regulatory strategy. And they think that they understand, um, you know, I make the joke that people think that, you know, that regulations are written in English and they speak English so that they can understand the regulations, but the FDA is its own dialect. And then they don't interpret the regulations right and because they made misinterpretations and misunderstandings early on, it has compromised their path to market and actually slowed them down because maybe they didn't have a pre-submission, but they had some risks that they didn't discuss with the FDA. Maybe they picked standard XYZ and it should have been ABC, or they picked the wrong acceptance criteria or biocompatibility solvents. There's there's all these missteps that, that they can make by self-interpretation um, without the expertise that my team brings. So knowing that, what advice, what advice would you have for medtech startups who haven't yet consulted with a regulatory quality professional and are trying to kind of, like you said, think English is English, so they should understand the regulations and think that they're going down the right path. What advice would you have for them if they perhaps are not ready to engage a consultant trying to do it their own? What advice would you have to make sure that they really are going in the right direction and kind of limit some of these pitfalls? Um, for the DIY, I, I really don't know how you would minimize that. Um, I think it's more understanding that what you need early on isn't a huge financial commitment. Most of my clients will engage for that regulatory strategy, and then we, we might not hear from them for a while 
meaning a year, two years, sometimes three. I just had somebody call me back this year that I hadn't heard from since 2020. And, um, and they use that initial regulatory pathway assessment to either go out and fundraise because they now they have what's a virtual white paper about the regulatory strategy they can give to an investor and say, no, I really have this figured out. It was by a third party. This is legitimate. This is how much time and money it's going to take once we get started. Yep. Um, so it, and the, or they take that regulatory pathway assessment and they start using it as design inputs for their first prototype and testing. That's awesome. So your advice really is, hey, it's worth to spend the extra money up front to help a, have a professional help you at least understand the right regulatory pathway and do an assessment and, and come up with a uh, at least the foundation of a regulatory strategy. Right. It's a, it's a minor investment for how much time and money it's going to save you. And like I said, you might not spend any more money with me or the other consultant, you know, for, for many years until you're funded or you have a prototype. Yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. All right, so back to the, to the topic at hand, which is how do you know when it's time for a full-time employee? Um, we talked about how early you really come in, and which is awesome because now you get to understand um, basically a ride-along, right? You, you see every phase of what's going on from just the idea phase all the way through you know, perhaps commercialization. So what is your recommendation? Where, what are some of the signs that, hey, you know what, it really is time for a full-time RAQA uh, professional? Right. So once the quality system starts kicking in, so there's this, I build mine in phases. So there's a, there's a um, design and development phase. So we sell them one set of procedures. My team usually helps as like the independent quality engineers at that stage. But then as you move down the road to commercialization and you get that 510K cleared, and now you have a full quality management system, which means now you have maintenance activities, not just design activities. So there are things like internal audits, uh, management review that happen on like a scheduled basis. But then there are also things that happen on an event basis, like complaints, non-conformances, recalls. To a point in initial commercialization, we can help with those things. I call that my fractional QA. Everybody knows, or fractional quality assurance, everybody knows fractional um, CFO. You know, most, most startups, small companies don't need and can't afford a full-blown full-time CFO. Well, same thing for the quality assurance. In those early years, um, Maybe you're, you're not going to, you're an early market launch, early market acceptance. You're not going to get that many complaints in these one-off events. So you can get for a flat fee for the fractional, you can spread the combination of a certain number of those event related and maintenance or, or annually scheduled activities over, over a year with this program. However, when, when those, those ratios start to shift, maybe you add a product and you're starting the design cycle again. You're making design changes. All the, all the while your market's growing and you're starting to sell more product, which means you're getting more complaints, more nonconformances. You've got more suppliers to manage. And so there will be a tipping point as your business is adding products, adding sales, um, that it's gonna make more financial sense to get somebody in-house. 
And that's, that's when I usually, you know, bring you in, you and I have worked on many projects with several of my customers in, in lots of different stages of commercialization. Some of them got there really quickly. And then some of them, it was years before they really uh, had enough commercialization that they felt like that the benefit of having somebody in-house outweighed the cost of the outsourcing. I just thought of this one. This one's super important. Manufacturing. Most people uh, at early stages are outsourcing their manufacturing. If either at an early stage or at a stage of growth, they insource manufacturing in-house. And now you have a lot of activities that need to happen in person. So all these others that I described, my team can support virtually. But if you're doing manufacturing, you need at least a quality person in-house to oversee all of those day-to-day production-related activities at minimum. So is your overall recommendation of when it's time to look at hiring a full-time uh, RIQA professional, is it after the initial product has been commercialized then, not, not necessarily beforehand? Most of the time, correct. Um, okay. and, but that, that depends on how many, how many products or iterations are they trying to um, launch at one time. You know, software companies are notorious for building you know, you're, you're making changes almost before it even gets commercialized, yeah. things like that, where you need somebody that are, is a little bit more ingrained in the day-to-day product development and product change cycles would be when it makes sense to have somebody um, in-house. It makes sense to me. Um, and it's interesting to kind of hear your perspective as to what you see organizations do. Would you say that that seems to be the norm of for for your clients that that's usually the the pivotal point where you see them start to look to hire uh, a full time uh, RQA pro? Yes, um, when they are either already deep into um, you know product development on the software side and design change before they even have clearance, but then also as they're going to commercialization and they're adding more products, more platforms after commercialization as well. Yeah, yeah. I wanna go back for a second. You started to mention the, the term fractional. In essence, you know, I've heard it as contract or interim. The word has been coming up a lot more lately, uh, fractional. And you mentioned the example of a CFO for a startup who comes in as a fractional CFO, right? To help things keep, <clears throat> uh, keep moving um, on an ad hoc basis, so to speak. Are you, I think you as a, a business, you're now starting to offer fractional services, aren't you? I am. Yep. So we'll talk uh, about the difference between a, a consulting gig that you would have versus your fractional services, if you would. So a fractional is almost like a virtual or outsourced REQA team. So for this fixed price a month, you get these number of activities that are going to keep you in compliance. Um, with wh- whichever regulations apply, be it the US, EU, we can, we can do that whole spectrum. Um, but but you, you have a known cost in your budget that is much lower than having a, a RAQA person budgeted in your overhead because mm-hmm. you know exactly what it's gonna cost you every month. It's less than, um, because you're, if you have a, a full-time employee, You've got not only their salary, but, you know, their retirement, 
the healthcare, all these other things that kind of are back baked into that. And you may initially not have enough to really keep them busy on a full-time role. So it, it really kind of helps both keep those costs down and fixed, but then also gives you high quality access to experts in the field that have been, been around the block a few times and that we have collective expertise and knowledge where if you get just one person with one set of experiences, you know, not only do you have more costs, but you have less expertise in-house mm -hmm. or available to you. Yeah, that makes sense. Because in my head, as you were um, explaining this, I'm thinking, well, in essence, this is consulting. It's basically like hiring a consultant to do the work. But I think the major difference is access to your team of resources mm -hmm. and really where you're an extension of their business versus just an independent consultant who's working on a project or two. Yeah, exactly. So at that point, we become collaborators. And like you said, we're an extension of that team or that company. Um, and we're not, and that's one thing I pride myself on about Lean RAQA as a whole is that we do deliverables, but we're not deliverable focused, we're relationship focused. And so this fractional QA is an extension of that relationship yeah. to where we, get, we are, you know, as a part of your company, essentially. What concerns do you hear? What, what objections do you uh, hear primarily when you are in conversation with an organization who's determining which direction to go? Should we hire something like a service like that, you know, fractional RA or QA service? Should we hire an independent consultant? Should we do it ourselves? What objections do you hear to, to that idea? That's a good question. There, there's just a variety of, and most of it's related to the comfort level of, of the people with outsourcing that much and letting go for them mentally letting go of control, even though we might do it, you know, faster and better. It, mm -hmm. it is, you know, trusting us that we're going to be there for you and manage your compliance appropriately. And then the funding level. So, you know, people who might have deeper pockets or be better funded are more open to staffing because they are, they, they already um, maybe have a sales team or key opinion leaders um, already geared up so they know that they're going to ramp in commercialization and sales pretty quickly. Or they already have um, ideas in the pipeline for new products um, coming. So there's, there's a variety of factors um, that, yeah. that can drive the concern or the ability to hire somebody. And what's nice about your situation is because you get in so early, you've already had an opportunity to demonstrate your expertise and offer value at a very early stage when it comes to the strategy piece. So that as the company's progressing in their own product development, now you've got that rapport, you've got that um, um, expertise demonstrated. Now it's a little bit easier to, for them to understand, okay, some of the execution, we can feel comfortable de de uh, delegating to Michelle's team because she's helped us so early on, we trust her. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's awesome. You know, my only other question for you is last year was a really topsy-turvy um, year for hiring. You know, we, we all saw the news every single day about companies that were, were going through layoffs. And for us as a firm, we started to see this trend in October of 2022. And we kept saying, okay, the ties are going to turn, the ties are going to turn. And then September of last year, 2023, I really felt just based on our own business, 
um, and kind of looking to what I was seeing as far as volume that, okay, I think we're coming out of this. And then middle to late October, same thing started to happen again. I'm like, what is going on? Um, so it was a really interesting, crazy kind of year where um, you saw the news of layoffs, but then there was this pocket of businesses in the same industry, just going gangbusters and hiring like crazy. What What's your perspective as to what happened last year and kind of what are you forecasting uh, from what you see uh, as we get into 2024 here? Well, you know, the whole world is topsy-turvy right now. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, financially and otherwise. And I just think that that is having such a big impact that people who really do need full-time employees aren't hiring them and they're not hiring enough of them. Um, you know, you and I have a, a mutual client that we're, we're working towards right now that is, they're a startup, they're well-funded, they're, but they're so agile, they're making changes on the fly, in the field, they have one quality person and it's like, she's a, she's a chicken with her head cut off, you know, just trying to keep up with how agile this, this company is. Um, but they are still relying heavily on us, which is fine, but because we're not on site, they're one, they're, they're one of those companies that's moving so fast. They need somebody like boots on the ground that hears and sees everything that they can do. And like, maybe not say time out, but say, we, we have to document this, or we need to follow this procedure, or here's the form that we need to do that. Or that sounds like a complaint to me. Yeah. Um, so, so there are, there's just all these dynamics of why people aren't hiring, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't be hiring. And they really could be working themselves into some, some fairly serious, um, compliance issues. Um, and you know, you have one field event as a, you know, kind of new stage company and that that's enough to be precarious, to put you out of business, you know, a, a recall or adverse event that you have to report that kind of thing, you know, and then you've not only got to have, you know, conversations with your investors, but if you have to recall product and, or rework product in the field, at the very least your reputation with your new client base is going to be compromised. Your reputation with the agencies are going to be compromised and your reputation with your investors. So yeah. um, I think people have to be really wise and mindful that by not spending money, they might be spending a whole lot more money than they, they need to down the road. You know, it's an ounce of, was it an ounce of provision is worth a, pound of something. I don't know the same, but I know exactly where you're going. Yeah. Pennywise, pound foolish. It's interesting that you say that because I just put up a post uh, not too long ago on LinkedIn talking about a story where an organization had a, uh, it was a senior regulatory affairs specialist position open for three months and they had a choice. They could work with a headhunter and spend roughly $30,000 and go that route, or they could go their own way and do it themselves. And they chose to do it themselves. And they thought, okay, well, this person makes about $120,000 a year. So the position has been open for three months already. So in theory, we've saved 10, we've saved $30,000, 10 grand a month. <clears throat> they end up spending way more money because they didn't take into account the, the hidden indirect costs. What about 
the extra workload on the team? What about the fact that they are now going to push somebody else out because they've had it. They don't want to keep up with somebody else's work. What about the fact that now a manager who's supposed to be strategic is now in the weeds doing things they shouldn't be doing when really they should be focusing on the overarching strategy? What about the over, overall morale of the entire team? I mean, there's so many things, right? And then the added time when they ended up working with a headhunter on the back end anyways to get it done. So and the, the culture you create with all of those things too, yeah. you know, um, just, and I have a, I have a phrase that I coined that says that sounds expensive. You just thought it sounded expensive before, right? You just go, go do it yourself, make a big mess. It's going to be that, yeah. that really does sound expensive. Any last thoughts that, uh, that you want to share, Michelle? Yep. So while, uh, you know, my business um, f primarily focuses on startups, I think that these problems are also universal at large companies, you know, without naming names, but I think everybody can figure out who I'm talking about. One of the, the largest companies that is having recall after recall right now, including ventilator debacles, among other things. I, I know several people who used to work at this company in RAQA, and they lay and the company laid off the entire RAQA team and then just got contractors, not like fractional QA like I'm talking about, but just like deliverable. Hey, I just want you to do this technical file for MDR. Not like, and you give me my technical file, thank you, your contract's over. Entire teams of RAQA people. Wow. And so, um, and you know, Talk about expensive. No I mean, kidding. No that, kidding. That has a, a three-figure, it's, it's a three-figure, seven-figure number that's bo that's borderline a eight-figure number involved. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. And you think about, you back into that, where the decisions went wrong and where leadership uh, could have prevented all this had the right people been making the right decisions, right? Well, one of my um, German notified body auditors, one time when I was working somewhere with a, a crazy CEO, he, he patted my shoulder one day and he's like, Michelle, the fish stinks from the head. So there you go. Really good point. Really good way of saying it too. Yep. Which is why having the right leaders at the helm is so crucial. It just is. It just exactly. is. Exactly. Well, I appreciate you being here, Michelle. I'm so glad that we were able to do this dual podcast on, on both platforms. I uh, wish you guys continued success and look forward to another episode together. You too. And we always enjoy you, Mitch. Thank you.